good evening, brethren. And uh, thank you for inviting me back to, to Claremont. I'm always happy to be back here. Um, we're going to look at a, <clears throat> at a very familiar book in the Bible, uh, the book of Ruth. And uh, before we do that, let's just bow in a short word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for your love shown to us through the gift of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one whom we see in Isaiah, high and lifted up. The one upon whom those seraphim would not look. With two wings, they would cover their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. With two wings, they did fly. And they ceased not to cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We thank thee, O God, that such a one came and was handled by men. He was put upon, he was nailed to the cross, that he suffered and died, bearing our sins with him. We thank thee, O God, that he loved us so much and gave himself for us. And today we can boast with the hymn writer when he says, my sins, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. We thank thee, Father, for the one who did all things well, who took our sinfulness and gave us his own righteousness. And we look forward to that day when faith shall cease, when hope will not be necessary, for we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Until then, Father, we'll continue to look through your word to encourage one another. And we just pray that today, the Holy Spirit himself will break forth this word of life, just as our Lord did break bread by the Sea of Galilee. We desire to say things here that shall bring glory and honor to your name, things that shall edify your saints. So, Father, we commit each one of us before you. May the Holy Spirit lead us, for we pray and ask in the Savior's name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> let us turn to Ruth, the book of Ruth, Ruth and chapter 1, and I'm told that I can go all the way to 7.40 and probably approach the hour of 8, so, <laughs> uh, is that the wrong instructions, right? Okay, we'll take 30 minutes. Um, Ruth chapter 1, and... Um, I usually, um, I like to speak to young people, so I remind them that every book in the Bible is in its right place. In other words, you wouldn't find Ruth all the way back with the minor prophets. Ruth is in this place because it's supposed to be in this place. Um, um, one of the questions they asked me, hey, Daniel was a prophet. How come he's not with the prophets? Well, yeah, Daniel was a prophet, but he's not found amongst Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, because Daniel was not a prophet in residence. He was 
he wasn't a prophet like Isaiah who, were, who had the office of a, of a prophet. Okay, so that's why Daniel is way by himself somewhere else. Uh, so Ruth here um, comes after judges. And when we read the first sentence of Ruth, we're going to know why. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So that's why it comes just after the judges. That there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now, the opening verse refers us to the time when the judges ruled. Now, if you go back to Judges, you, you see Israel in a state of idolatry. The Lord had commanded them to go into Canaan and drive out all the tribes, drive them out, not to coexist. And when the children of Israel, some of the tribes, when they went in, they defeated the tribes they found there, but they did not drive them out. They became democratic and they said, hey, we can live together. So that is not what the Lord had said. The Lord had said, commanded them to drive them out so that only Israel can live in that land. And furthermore, he had told them, um, before you raise up any altars, upon which to offer sacrifices to me, you need to make sure that all the other altars for idol worshiping are broken down. No groves. Break everything down. But they did not. And so what we see in the book of Judges is that the children of Israel came in and they started living with these guys who worshipped idols. They worshipped Baal and Ashtaroth. And as the older generation, the generation that grew up with Joshua, as it was dying out, and eventually they died out, these guys who grew up, who were born and grew up in Canaan, um, just thought they could be like the guys who are their neighbors, and they started idol worshiping as well. So Israel became idolatrous. They started bowing to Baal and to Ashtaroth. And this book is set in that context of Israel um, in a state of idol worshiping. 
And if you read again in Judges, see that God is always punishing them. They repent, and he brings them back. Then they punish them again. They fall back. They're always falling back to idolatry. And you see, um, in the New Testament, there's a verse there that reminds us about not being equally yoked with non-believers. That applies here. These people live together, and eventually the habits they filtered into the life of Israel, and they became idol worshippers. And God had sent a famine. That's what we see in verse 1. And there was a famine in the land. He sent a famine as a punishment to Israel. And Elimelech and his wife Naomi and his two children, they look around and they see green pastures in Moab. Now Moab was, uh, it was a full-fledged idol-worshipping state. But there are green pastures there. And so um, being um, probably an economist, a good economist, he takes the family and they move to Moab. But there, instead of saving their lives, they lose their lives, except for Ruth. And when Elimelech, uh, Marlon, and Chilion died, Ruth now, and Naomi, uh, heard that uh, the Lord, in verse 6, she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. But before we get to that verse, the first five verses, how do we apply this to us as believers? When we see green pastures elsewhere, it could be in another assembly, uh, people who hate Claremont so much that they can't wait to get out and go to another assembly, or people who hate their job so much they can't wait to go to another job, or people who hate their family so much they can't wait to get out and go join other families. We, We need to take a pause. Elimelech did not do that. Moving from Israel to Moab was not a wise decision. Yes, the economics were good. How do we tell? Because when you read Judges, I think it's chapter 2, chapter 3, we see the picture of a king, King Eglon of Moab, a well-fed, overweight king. And when Ehud went and killed him, the knife disappeared in the stomach, and they couldn't find it. The economy was good, and the king was was big. But as believers, we don't make our decision based on economics. We base our decision based on our faith. If a job is paying me 200000 a year, is it still a good job when it's going to compromise my faith? If I want to leave Claremont and go to another assembly, What if I am the problem here? I need to sort myself first. This is what Elimelech and his family should have done. There should have been an introspection towards themselves. The problem was in the hearts of the likes of Elimelech and the other guys in Israel. That is what the problem was. And the solution was not to change the geographical location, to go into a far more idolatrous state like Moab. 
But you know, <clears throat> there's a duality to this passage because even in this, in this difficult time, in this unwise decision, so to say, by Elimelech, God used Naomi as an, as an instrument. And we'll talk about that when we get to the later parts of chapter 1. In verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law <clears throat> that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. <clears throat> this um, reminded me of the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son went out with a lot of cash to spend it. He couldn't spend it fast enough, so he went out to spend it. He took his inheritance, spent it, and then sat down, and then one day the Holy Spirit lit up a, a, a bulb in his mind, and he saw how foolish he was. And he said, I'm not even worthy to be called a servant. I'm going to return to my father and ask him that I'm just good enough to be a servant, not your son. And we see how he left uh, the pigsty and went, and the father saw him far off. And uh, the father couldn't wait. He jumped off the balcony and ran towards the son and fell on him and kissed him. And this guy is trying to, um, to recite his uh, speech. And the father didn't even hear that. I'm not worthy to be a son. Hey, get, get the ring put on his finger. Uh, I can just be a servant. He killed the fatted calf. Let's start celebrating. My son was dead. He's now alive. Here in this picture, we see, um, we see Naomi dealt by difficult circumstances. And she says, I have to go back now because now the Lord has blessed my land and I need to go back. <clears throat> and then we have two daughters-in-law, Opa and Ruth. And this is one of the greatest confessions of faith that we find in the Bible. I actually put it at the same level as the confession of Nebuchadnezzar. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of days, lifted up mine eyes and blessed the Most High God. Here the two women are listening to one woman. Opa and Ruth are listening to Naomi. S same place, at the same time, from the same mouth. And yet we see two decisions which are made. One of them decides to go back, and one of them goes with Ruth. Let's jump to, to verse 14. 
And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Opa kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth cleaved to her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back to her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried, and the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. The Lord once said there will be two people on the rooftop. One will be taken and one will be left. Here, Ruth is a picture of the church. Naomi, the picture of the Holy Spirit. Same work as Eliezer did for Abraham. Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And he went and found Rachel and brought her to his master's son. And here, uh, Naomi is the type of the servant who is sent to bring the Gentile church uh, to Christ. She is sent out to Moab, a Gentile nation, to bring the church, so to speak, to Christ. And if Ruth is a representation of the church, she represents then all the believers who have come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have, as it were, abandoned our people. We have abandoned our gods and followed the one and true and living God. That's what we have done. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. We depend on the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us, and while he leads us, we will follow. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. We depend on the Holy Spirit to tell us where we shall lodge, where we shall dwell. We do not... I think Abraham once... Um, was instructed not to offer the sacrifices in any other place except in the place where the Lord had showed him or told him to offer sacrifice. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. When the spirit has stopped as it were in the wilderness, we stop. We do not do things on our own. Thy people shall be my people, 
the people of God are now my people. Um, whether I'm here at Claremont or I'm in New York or I'm back in Zambia, um, it's as though I have known you all my life. You are now my people. The non-believers, um, my cultural, those are not my people, but you are my people. And you are my brothers and my sisters, brethren. That's what we call each other. You are now my people. And each one of us needs to do everything possible to make sure that the other person is comfortable. Help one another. Look after one another. We are our brother's keepers. We need to be able to do more for each other than we can do for the other people who are not part of the household of faith because you now are my people. And thy God, my God. Thy God, my God. Now, Ruth is a Moabite woman. Her life, she has grown up amidst idols, people worshiping idols, offering stuff to idols. People say she was maybe in the late 20s or mid-20s, but all her life has been surrounded by idols, idol-worshipping, temples and Baal, Ashtaroth, and many other gods. And she has abandoned all those gods. The God of Naomi is now her God. That's what we've done to all the little gods we had, those are gone. We only worship the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is complete abandonment. And she is not even going back. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. Even when I die, I do not want to be brought back to Moab. I want to be buried where you'll be buried. Complete abandonment. That's what happens to us. When we confess in the Lord Jesus Christ, we lay aside everything else. We lay aside everything else. And we depend on the Holy Spirit to lead us. We believe in one God. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will make sure that none of his is lost. You know. There are a lot of people who don't believe in God. The likes of Oprah, who went back to their gods and to their people. But as for you and me, we believe in God and we're led by the Holy Spirit. And he shall protect us, he shall lead us, and he shall provide for us until that day when in heaven there he shall present his church to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the Lord seated there on the throne will look at all of us dressed in white, spotless. The Lord will look at us. And I'm sure he will borrow the words out of, uh, out of the Song of Solomon. Thou art pure. There is no spot in thee. At that time, the work of the Holy Spirit is done. There will be no need for the Holy Spirit. There will be no need for the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 to 22, we'll make only comment on verse 22. So they... So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Now, every word here is in its right place. And it's not a coincidence that the words, especially in verse 22, it's not a coincidence that when Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, they return in the beginning of the barley harvest. So we'll talk about that. But before we do that, let's take just a short look at Naomi. She comes back a very bitter woman. She had lost husband. Well, I mean, she can do without a husband. That's fine. But, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I thought that women are more attached to the children. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe to both, but, you know, a husband is dispensable. But the sons, um, she was really bitter about that, about the loss. She could not see the hand of God at work. And if you go back to Mary Magdalene, she's there at the empty tomb, and she's crying, and she sees this man come, and she said, hey, she thinks he's a gardener. If you've taken him away, just tell me where you laid him, and blah, blah, blah. And she cries and cries, and she's overcome, blinded by grief. She couldn't see, right in front of her eyes, the Lord Jesus Christ is there. She looks at him, but she's blinded by grief until the Lord calls her by name, Mary. And then she understood who that man was in front of her. Here, Naomi comes back. She doesn't see 
the hand of the Lord at work. All she sees is affliction. The Lord has been tough with me. He has taken away my husband. As she says, I went out full and I've come back empty. Really? Did she come back empty? She came back with Ruth. Ruth would bear a son. Her name would be called Obed. Obed would bear a son. His name, did I say her name? His name would be called Obed. Obed would have a son. The name of Obed's son would be Jesse. Jesse would have a son. The name of Jesse's son, the most important one, is David. And we know that out of this house of Pharaohs, out of the house of Judah, this is where the Lord Jesus Christ would be born. So she didn't come back empty. But she is blinded by all this bitterness. And we ought to draw a lesson from both these two women I spoke about, Naomi and Mary, that when we are in grief, probably over the loss of a husband or loss of a son or children, let us try to see or to comfort ourselves with the thought that God actually knows why such tragedy has come up upon us. And we ought to trust him that he'll give us the strength we need, that he'll give us the guidance that we need in such a difficult time. Let us pray that he may open our eyes to see beyond the veil of tears, to see beyond the veil of grief and sorrow. Verse 22, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. As a young boy, um, like to go to the village somewhere end of April because we knew that end of April then there'll be harvest, there'll be maize or what, corn as we call it here, there'll be groundnuts, there'll be all sorts of fruits and so you go there and you eat and never go home in October or November. They'll put you to work. So... <laughs> We avoided going there in those months. And so, but we liked every, every time it's April after school, hey, can I go to the village? And you, know, and you come back, you, you, know, you put on a few pounds. And, uh. So Naomi, it's not by calculation that Naomi said, oh, we'll just go back when it's barley harvest. No. It's a sovereign workings of God. Why? Because this is a pointer to what would happen in Acts, the beginning of the church, it's at Pentecost, the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the feast of the first fruits. Speaking of Pentecost, Naomi, as type of the Holy Spirit, brings Ruth, the Moabite woman, the Gentile church, to Bethlehem at Pentecost. At Pentecost, that's when the church begins. That's when the church begins. The barley harvest, you remember, it's one of the uh, seven feasts 
in the Jewish calendars. And at the, uh, the first harvest, they will take the, the wave it before the Lord and do all sorts of other stuff that uh, are provided in uh, Leviticus chapter 23. But much more important, again, in Corinthians, the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the first fruits of them that slept. Okay. So it's not by coincidence. Ruth is a type of church, and she is brought in at Pentecost, the same way that the church would actually begin at Pentecost in the book, in the book of Acts. Okay. Um, we have five minutes, so let me jump to chapter four, because I need to talk about uh, the redemptive work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, by the way, um, at the end of uh, chapter two, uh, it says, she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest, and of wheat harvest and dwelled with her mother-in-law. Speaking of the church, the church right now is at the, at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're just waiting for the end of the harvest when rapture shall come, when the trumpet shall be sounded and rapture would, would, uh, would happen. Um, in um, chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, uh, and she lay at his feet until the morning, and um, that's the church, again, speaking of the church, which is at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the middle of verse 15, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. Speaking of the, the rewards, rapture would happen, will go up to be with the Lord in, the, in heaven, and there he'll give us the crowns for what we did. And in uh, chapter 4, um, we see uh, the, the redemptive work of Christ. We'll pick it up from verse 6. And the king's man said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the king's man said to Boaz, Bide for thee, so he drew off his shoe, and Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Marlon's, of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Marlon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. You are witnesses this day, and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, the two, two which two did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, 
of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Now, there are four things that someone who wanted to redeem another person needed to have, the four qualifications. Uh, the first one is that that person who's going to redeem another person should be a close relative. They sh should have, they share the same blood, so to say, close relative. Um, the second was that that person should be willing to pay the price. And the third was that uh, that person should be rich enough to pay the price. It's not just willing to pay, but you must have it. You must have the cash to pay. Um, and the fourth one was that that person must be free himself. In other words, if you are not free, you cannot redeem another person. Okay. So in this kingsman who was closer than Boaz, um, he had the money. He was a closer relative than Boaz. And he was a free man, but he was not willing to pay the price. Because if he paid, then he would mar, as he says, his other inheritance. So he was not willing to do it. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ was a close relative to us. That is why he was not born as an angel, but instead he was made like us. He was one of us. He was human. He wasn't some strange man. He was a man who had hands and feet and a head and could talk. He felt the pain when he ate the candy. It would taste sweet. When he ate some sour grapes, they would be sour. He was a man, just like you and me. He wasn't a superhuman. He was a man like you and me. So he qualifies to redeem us. But also, he was free. And like us who are under the bondage of sin, the Lord Jesus Christ was free from sin. He did not have sin in him. He was not a slave of sin like we were. So he qualified on that. And then he was willing he willingly went to the cross for us. He was not forced to go on the cross. He was not forced to die. No one killed the Lord Jesus Christ, but he gave up the Holy Ghost. Okay. He gave it up of his own accord. And what was the last one? He was willing. Well, oh, the wealth. He had the wealth to pay. His blood, his blood could pay for each and everyone's sin. You see, if I say I'm going to die for Rick Markley or something like that, you know, probably I wouldn't even pay for myself in the first place. But the Lord had richness in him to pay for each and every sinful man. So he qualified on all these four points as the perfect kingsman 
Redeemer. And that's why this part is important. It gives us a glimpse into the redemptive work of Christ way many, 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 many years down the road. We get a glimpse and begin to appreciate more what actually the Lord Jesus Christ did for us in his redemptive work. And you see in verses 10 and 11, this was a public transaction. It wasn't something in secret. They sat in the gate, and people were coming in and going out, and this is where the transaction happened. It wasn't in a boardroom where they sat and said, hey, do you want to pay for this or not? And they, they make an agreement. And It was a public transaction. And the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, it was a public transaction. You can see him standing up there with Pilate, and Pilate pleads with the people, but this man has done nothing wrong. And the people say, crucify him. But why should I kill the man? A public transaction was happening. And when he is condemned, he is not condemned in private. It's right there on the stage with the thousands and thousands of Jewish people and Romans in the audience, and Pilate condemns the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, you know, you can go and kill him. Public transaction. The work of redemption was not done in secret. There is no, nothing that was hidden. Everybody saw it. Everybody heard it. And at the end of it all, they just said, we'll kill him, but let his blood be upon our heads and upon our children's heads. And they went and crucified the Lord. And then here, um, in verse 11, the the end part, and do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Well, probably these words didn't mean much that time. No. They didn't mean much. Be famous in Bethlehem. What does that mean? You know. You know, today, Bethlehem is the most famous city. Why? because of a baby that was born in that city, a baby called Jesus. And where the lineage of that baby comes from, it comes from Ruth, the Moabite woman. It comes from Ruth, the Moabite woman. And they said, may your house be as the house of fires. This was a powerhouse. powerhouse of the house of Judah, which produced the house of Pharaohs. And now we have the house of David, which produced our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's very famous. And be famous in Bethlehem. And then the end gives us a short genealogy there. Um, and the women, her neighbors gave it a name saying there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David, 
Now these are the generations of Pharis. Pharis begat Hezron, and Hezron Ram, and Ram Aminadab, and Aminadab Nashon, and Nashon Salmon, and Salmon Boaz, and Boaz Obed, and Obed Jesse, and Jesse David. Scripture takes time to provide a genealogy at the end of Ruth so that there is no confusion at all where David comes from. She comes from Ruth. And I imagine, because between Ruth and David, probably it's a hundred years or eight years, sometimes I imagine that a little boy David may have played on the laps of an aging great-grandmother Ruth. I imagine that maybe um, Ruth knew Samuel. She also knew this little boy, David. But I don't know whether she connected that one day Samuel would anoint this little boy, David, and David would become this great king, and out of the house of David would come our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But just some wild thinking, I guess. But these genealogies are provided for a reason, so that Ruth can stand in line. When you speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Gentile Moabite woman Ruth, she is also mentioned. You go to Matthew, you're going to find Ruth and Boaz in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a short, interesting book, and um, I hope that uh, um, hope that uh, you can read it again in your own spare time, and that you can enjoy it as much as most of us enjoy this little book. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we. Thank thee for the time spent looking in your word. We thank thee for the fact that we depend upon the Holy Spirit to live our lives. We thank thee for the picture of Naomi and Ruth and of Boaz, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church and the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank thee that as Ruth brought back Naomi, as Naomi brought back Ruth to Bethlehem and into the household of Judah, so the Holy Spirit has called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. And Father, we just pray that the light of the Holy Spirit will continue to guide us as we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and thank Thee for the picture of redemption. Father, we just pray that our hearts will bow in worship and thankfulness for giving us our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to come and die for us on the cross of Calvary. And we pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit will continue to show us things beyond the page. 
things glorious, things edifying, things that can guide us and encourage us in our pilgrim pathway. We've come to the end of the meeting. We just pray that thou dismiss us with your blessings. We pray and ask in the Savior's name. Amen.